0: So we have been talking now for I think six weeks, which is kind of a longer series, but it's been really good. I I, I didn't feel like it was too long. I hope y'all didn't. We've been talking about what it means to enter the promised land. Of course, that's a place we read about in the Old Testament. The Hebrew people were led out of Egypt and then out of every person that left Egypt. How many entered the promised land? Y'all should have this by now if you didn't already. Two Two people that left Egypt entered the promised land. That entire generation died in the wilderness. It was their children, their grandchildren, and Joshua and Caleb that entered the promised land. So we've been talking for three weeks about what set Joshua and Caleb apart. So here's your very quick review. This is what set them apart from literally everybody else in their entire generation. They knew the report of the Lord. They declared the report of the Lord even when everybody else was saying something else, even when people told them they were crazy, and literally when everybody wanted to kill them physically in their lives for declaring the report of the Lord, they still. Declared the report of the Lord. And this third one isn't so much a conscious thing, it's just the result of knowing and declaring the report of the Lord. They acted on it. When nobody else acted on it, they acted on it. They entered the promised land. They led their people into that land that was flowing with milk and honey. But on the outside, didn't just look like it was gonna be a walk in the park. They didn't just walk into a place where the streets were paved and the houses were built and the gardens were flourishing and they just stepped in and moved in. No, there were still people there that they had to drive out. Those people didn't belong there and they had to put their hand to some stuff And see it prosper. And they did. And as a New Testament believer, we have promises. You have promises in the word. And you have vision. And you have uh, dreams that the Lord has put in your heart. And you might as well call that the promised land. And you can get there the exact same way. you got to know the report of the Lord. Know your promises you got to declare that report when nobody else is. When it looks like everything on the outside is messing up, you got to look at what the word says. And that has to become more real to you than the real stuff in the real world. And then you'll find yourself acting on his report better than, and faster than you ever have as you enter your promised land. But just like Joshua and Caleb, when they entered the promised land, there was still work to be done, right? They still had to go possess that promise. It was a continual thing that happened. They had to enter that land. They, they crossed the Jordan. The walls of Jericho fell down. And then even then, it didn't stop. There were all kinds of different nations that they had to drive out of that land. And it was a continual process. And as we have victory in our lives as New Testament believers, we still have to continually Take possession of our promise because there is an enemy out there and he's going to come against you anytime he can. Any chance you give him, he's going to take it. And if he doesn't, we still live in a fallen world. And sometimes this world, just the nature of it is against us. We have to continually take and keep possession of our promises. And we can and I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about it. Paul called it renewing your mind in Romans 12, chapter 12, verse 2. And it's something I know you've heard me talk about so often, but it is such a pillar of our faith as New Testament believers. We have to renew our mind according to Paul, because if we don't renew our mind continually with the word, we will naturally just conform To thinking the way the world thinks. And this world is not interested in possessing the promises of the Lord at all. But as a New Testament believer, those promises are ours. And the only reason we don't have possession is because we have given it up ourselves. It's time to go repossess Some of these promises that we've let go. Did you ever watch that show? I don't remember the name of it, but the family had the repo business and they would go repossess people's cars and things like that. People make a big mistake in their minds when they go buy a car and get a loan. They think they own that car, but you don't own that car at all. You are paying off a loan and if you can't pay off the loan, whoever you got the loan from owns that car. It may be in your possession, right? The car, But if you don't make payments, whoever owns it, whether it's the car lot or the bank or whoever, if you don't make the payments, they will come to you and repossess that car that in that moment still belongs to them. Until you make that final payment, you don't own it, right? The enemy comes against us with authority that he doesn't own. In fact, you own it. And if for whatever reason he has whatever authority in your life you've given him, maybe you've given into some anxiety, you've given into fear, you've given in some depression. That is literally letting him have possession of authority that you own. It's time to go repossess that authority that you have given him. And it doesn't have to be a big, hard thing. It it, it tells us in the word how to do it. And I want to talk about it today. I want to talk about how to repossess that authority that you've given away. And as you do, you will come into possession of all these promises. I saw this great video online this week. I don't know if we're going to do this with our kids ministry or not but it was awesome. It was this kid's ministry, and they had somebody come in, and he was wearing kind of, it wasn't really a scary costume. It was just like a black cloak. It wasn't scary at all, and the children's director said, all right, kids, do you see this person? This is the devil, okay? They obviously knew who the person was, so none of these kids were scared, but they were like, here's what we're going to do. Sometimes the devil steals things steals things from us, and all the kids had like a piece of candy, and the devil went around and took the candy from them, and, and the, the teacher said, but you know what? The Bible says when he steals something we have to we can go take it back and he has to give us back even more than what he stole so they said tell him in the name of Jesus give me that back and they all said in the name of Jesus give us that back and they said rebuke him they said we rebuke you in the name of Jesus and then the guy that played the devil threw all this candy out at the kids and ran away real fast right I know that's a goofy example, but man, maybe we as adults need to see that, right? We take our authority back. If he has any foothold in our life, it's not because God gave it to him. Jesus won the victory. The battle is over. The war is over. If we have given him authority, I'm going to tell you where the battle is. It is right here. Do you know what that is? That's your mind. The battle is in your mind. And the word tells us this over and over again. But there's a secret. The battle might be in your mind, but Paul, again, writing to his younger uh, protege, Timothy, this is one of my favorite things to say. Some of you can quote it with me. He tells Timothy in chapter 6, verse 12, fight the good fight For true faith, hold tightly to the eternal life to which God has called you, which you have declared so well before many. Fight the good fight, right? The fight out here in the spiritual world is over. Jesus won that victory. There's no demon in hell that has more authority than Jesus. Jesus dwells in you. The same power that rose him from the dead, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. There's not one demonic force that has more authority than you. The battle and the good fight takes place right here. The secret is this. The only kind of good fight is the one that you win. So the secret is if you don't quit as a believer, you win. That's the only way you're going to lose is if you quit. If you stop trying... But you can renew your mind through meditation on the word. And I mentioned this last week, so I'm going to mention it again right now because it's important. The world has stolen meditation and turned it into something weird and perverted and it's gross and it involves when the world talks about meditating, emptying your mind and just letting the universe fill it with whatever peace and thoughts and that is, that's bogus. But the Word of God talks about meditating. Paul wrote about meditating on the Word. It's actually, though, the exact opposite. Instead of sitting down and emptying your mind and just let letting whatever fill it, meditating the biblical way is filling your mind with the word of God, filling your mind with what God says over what this world says. That is biblical, true meditation. And when we do that, we get victory after victory up here as we renew our mind. Second Corinthians chapter 10 Verses three through five. For though we walk in the flesh, right? We're in this world. We can feel it. We can taste it. We can see it. Touch it. Five senses. Think about your five senses. We live and walk in the flesh. We do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not swords, they're not guns, they're not anything you can touch. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Where's your imagination? In your mind. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're for tearing down strongholds in your mind, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of, Not against God, not carrying down strongholds for things that exalt themselves against God. There's no demon, no person out there who can even begin to exalt himself against God. There is not one demonic force that God is trying to figure out. How am I going to take this one down? There is not one move Satan has ever made that God didn't already prepare for and didn't already have the answer. Where are the attacks? Right here. He comes against the knowledge of God. Again, the battle is in your mind. And here's how this verse rounds out. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Three times in this verse, Paul tells us the only battle left is in your mind. Because you have All the authority that Jesus himself had as he walked the earth. If you saw Jesus doing something in the New Testament, you can do that. Jesus himself, as he ascended to heaven, said, the things you've seen me do, you'll do greater things. Let that sink in. Let that sink in. I got to speak at the chapel at Gaston Christian, my kids' school, again this past week. So it's been years since that first grade moment where Ava so politely told us that she'd claim us if, if we acted right, I guess. But this past week, we spoke, I spoke again at the Gaston Christian Chapel, and they asked me to speak on the miracle of walking on water. You know, I spoke mostly not about Jesus walking on water, but about Peter walking on water, right? Think about that. We always think if you talk about walking on water, for some reason, I think most of us, our minds go straight to Jesus. There was another miracle that happened in that moment. Peter walked on water as well. And as long as his eyes were on Jesus, he kept walking. But the Bible says when he looked around and saw that the winds were heavy and the waves were large, he began to sink. Thank you, God, we still have a Savior, that when we begin to sink, he still reaches down and grabs us and pulls us up out of the water. But we don't have to ever sink. We can keep our eyes on Jesus and according to Paul, cast down the thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, cast down vain imaginations, bringing those thoughts into captivity to obedience of Christ. What does that mean? That means when you're looking at a situation and your thought that maybe you don't even consciously think on purpose, it's just a natural thing. You look at the situation and here's the thought, well, this is an impossible situation. Respond to that thought with the truth, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. Amen. But there's always a way I have a God who makes streams in the desert, who makes a path in the wilderness, who will bring the road up to meet me, who will bring a mountain down if it's in front of me. Well, I'm dealing with the sickness and the Bible says I'm healed. Your first thought, well, I'm sick take that thought into captivity. Maybe you want to be real specific and you want to look at yourself in the mirror and say, body, you might be dealing with the virus. But in first Peter two twenty four, the Bible says by the stripes of Jesus, I was healed. Isaiah 53, four says he was wounded and I was healed. Even when my five senses tell me I'm sick, there is the word of God that says I'm well. A lot of us just need to shift our perspective from thinking I am a sick person trying to get better to as a believer, our perspective should be I'm a well person, sickness is coming against me, it's not going to last. Yes. Okay. You can walk in victory over that. You might see things, you're, 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 you're attempting things, you're, you're working on a, a business or you have an idea and you're seeing, you're not seeing success. Well, in the natural, you might have this thought, this is a failure. Remind yourself and out loud respond. Psalm 1-3 says, I'll put my hand to something as a believer and I'll see it prosper. And even if I've seen something not succeed, that's not the end. I'm not going to quit. And I'm going to take those thoughts into captivity. It's all, it all goes back to this one word that, uh, again, is a word that con- it's all about up here. And that's the word believe. Belief. We believe believe. In our minds what the truth is and we act on it so we have to get to the point when the truth that's in God's Word has a stronger foothold in our mind than the truth we see with our five senses so how do we do that well first Corinthians or I believe sorry second Corinthians Paul told us that it's about casting that unbelief out of our mind and Jesus talked about that too So I'm going to get to that. Here's the next 20 minutes for this message. We are going to talk about the three different kinds of unbelief that come against believers and how to counteract that unbelief. Because it comes against every one of us, unbelief. As we counteract that unbelief, that is doing exactly what Paul said. That is bringing our thoughts into the obedience of the word. That is winning the battle in our mind, and you will see yourself possess the promises of God more than you ever have. So I'm not gonna spend much time on the first two because they're pretty explanatory. We'll spend most of our time on the third one, but here's the first kind of unbelief that believers deal with. It is unbelief because you simply just don't know. You know, there's people that are right now going to the grave. This is the worst thing I can imagine. Going to the grave having never heard about Jesus, and as the church, our job is to go tell them. Jesus said, go into all the world. Tell them this gospel. They don't believe simply because they haven't heard. I told you this story two weeks ago, but a friend of mine, an actual close friend of mine in Colorado just encountered these two uh, kids in the parking lot of a Target, and the Lord told him to take care of them, and he bought them some food and started telling them about Jesus These kids, they were 12 and 15, had never one time, even on TV or something, heard the gospel. They didn't know who Jesus was. They had never even heard that name. There are people still today in our city who don't believe simply because they have just never heard. And that goes beyond salvation. Some people aren't walking in their promises because they have never heard that God has made promises to the believers. They don't know that he healed our sicknesses. They don't know he carried our diseases. They may not even know that he forgave our sins. And they're walking around in guilt and condemnation because nobody has told them, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So how do you cast out unbelief? Because of lack of knowledge, you just gotta go get the knowledge. You gotta go get the knowledge. I'm assuming if you're here today, if you didn't come in with any knowledge, you're at least getting some right now. So that's a good step. Here's the second kind of unbelief, unbelief from just bad teaching, just people saying things and you just believed it. And it's not true at all. I always think about this at funerals. You hear people say this sort of thing. God needed an angel or something like that. Who told you that people become angels when they die? Is it Bugs Bunny? I think it was Bugs Bunny. Because when Bugs Bunny dies in the old Looney Tunes cartoons, he ends up floating up with angel wings and playing a harp on a cloud. Right. That is not what happens when you die. God made angels and he made humans and neither one becomes the other. There is unbelief sometimes because of bad teaching. I know people who aren't trying to get healed because they think that God made them sick. They think that God's trying to teach them something. So they're not praying and saying, Lord, uh, help me overcome this sickness. Now, you can actually find out who really believes that and who doesn't. Because if you're believing that God made you sick and you're in a hospital or you're taking medicine trying to get well, you obviously don't believe that God made you sick or you wouldn't be trying to fight the will of God and get well, whether it's with medicine or hospital or anything else. Right. So you kind of find out who really believes that and who just says things because they've heard it before. But the word is very clear. That the enemy, John 10, 10, comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and life abundantly. Jesus didn't go around healing a bunch of people. He made sick. He went around healing everybody who was sick because that is not his will. He didn't create sickness, and God doesn't keep sickness in the holster ready to put on people to teach him a lesson. So do people learn lessons from being sick? You know what? Sometimes we do because God is so good that if we give into sickness or whatever, he's so good, he still makes things work for our good and will teach us something and will take us somewhere. Do people get saved at people's funerals? Yes. Did God kill that person so somebody could get saved? No, but he's so good. Romans 8:28. He takes that tragic moment and works it for somebody's good and brings them into the kingdom. But there are people who aren't possessing their promises because they've been taught something wrong they've been taught something wrong my dad when my uh my grandfather was a used car salesman and the the cliche kind too that would try to figure out how to turn the the mileage back and stuff like that he didn't have a great reputation around the west side of charlotte but he gave my dad a car when my dad turned 16 and he said son uh be careful it's a great car just doesn't have reverse just doesn't reverse. So, my dad drove this car for six weeks and never parked it somewhere where he'd have to reverse out. He would pull into parking places only where he could pull straight into the next place and pull straight out. So, that was it, took a lot of time and it was very frustrating for him. After six weeks, he drove my grandfather somewhere and he was driving around a parking lot looking for a parking place he could just pull out of straight. And my grandfather said, What are you doing, Barry? Just go park. And my dad said, I got to find a place I don't have to back out of. And he said, I was just joking about that. Your car has reverse. (laughs) He drove that car for six weeks and never even attempted reverse because my grandfather told him, you don't have reverse. I mean, we could do a few lessons from that. We could have one lesson about just blind faith and believe in something (laughs) when when the Lord tells you, right? (laughs) That's a different lesson, though. Here's this lesson here's this lesson, that was bad teaching, that was bad knowledge, and my dad wasn't walking in full victory over those parking places because he didn't believe his car could reverse. There are a lot of believers who don't believe they have the same power on the inside of them that was resident in Jesus. So when we come into contact with somebody who needs a word of encouragement, what we think sometimes is, well, who am I? encourage this person. I messed up yesterday and and who am I? No, you are the hands and feet of Jesus in 2022. Well, this person's sick. I wish somebody that had faith could pray for them and, and, and see them get better. That's you. You have the very faith of Jesus on the inside of you. Lay hands on the sick and they will recover. There's believers that have been taught they can't do that. Lisa and I were in a mass. First time ever. Uh, last weekend, we a friend of ours got married. She's Catholic, and so we went to this mass. And there was a lot of beautiful elements of this service, but they told us that because we weren't Catholic, we couldn't take communion. We weren't worthy, right? And I got to thinking about that, and I started looking that up. I'm thankful I never grew up in a church that told me I wasn't worthy to take communion, right? Because communion that 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 makes it a little bit about us, doesn't it? When really it's about Jesus. Right? Communion is not about our unworthiness. It's about Jesus' worthiness. And when we haven't been taught wrong, we understand that communion, the physical act of of eating the bread, of of drinking the wine, and the metaphorical act, or, or the act, well, it's not really a metaphor, but the actual act of communing with the Father is never based on our worthiness. It's based on Jesus. But we have people who aren't taking physical elements of communion and are also not communing with the Lord because they have been taught they are not worthy. Do you know you're worthy through Jesus? It's not about our worthiness. It never was. It's about Him. Yes, in our flesh, we are not worthy of salvation but it's not about us. It's not about our flesh. Our faith is about Jesus, the lamb who was worthy, who took our sins upon the cross, took them to the grave and left them there. Is the lamb still worthy today in 2022? Yes, the lamb of God is still worthy. That means you and I are made worthy. His righteousness is now accounted to us. And if there is ever bread and wine in front of you, Jesus said as often as you do this, remember me. That's the requirement. Remember him. Can you imagine in that moment only thinking about yourself? When we, uh, my favorite communion we ever did here was during shutdown. I think we shut down for about, seven or eight services. Maybe it was just six. But I don't know if you guys remember, but during 2020, during that first service, I sent out a little thing on our social media and said, let's take communion together with whatever elements you have in your house. It doesn't have to be bread and juice or bread and wine. It can be whatever, right? You can, uh, we we use whatever. So I said, hey, post what you took communion with (laughs) online after that service. And Boy, some of it was funny. We had goldfish and, and, and coffee. We had Cheetos and Sundrop. That was probably Taylor Gunn uh, or Paul, Cheetos and Sundrop. That was probably the most Gastonia communion that was taken that day, Cheetos and Sundrop. I don't know anything that could be more Gastonia than Cheetos and Sundrop. Maybe Funyuns and Sundrop or like Cheerwine and Tony's Ice Cream or something. I don't know. But we had some very creative communion taking during that first week of shutdown. And you know, as long as we remember Jesus, that he is worthy, when we understand our worthiness is not what's in question and his worthiness is never in question, we can partake in communion every second of every day. God said we can come to his throne room boldly. He didn't say, when you act right, come to my throne boldly. He didn't say, when you get your behavior together, come into my throne room boldly when you get your thoughts right, when you get your mentals in order. No, he said, come to my throne room boldly. That veil, that curtain that separated men from the presence of God was torn from the top to the bottom when Jesus died. A 60 to 90 foot curtain, 60 to 90 feet was ripped from the top to the bottom. There's no physical way a human could do that. Maybe we could figure out a way from the bottom to the top. But from the top to the bottom, that was ripped, gave full access to the presence of God for every person who would believe. And where's that belief? Right here. That's the battle. Our very salvation starts with the act of Jesus and our belief. That's the second kind of unbelief. It's bad teaching. So how do you combat it? How do I know if I've been taught bad? Well, if you come to this church, I'm telling you, you hear some good stuff from a lot of different people. And then once you hear it, go to the word and find it out for yourself. I hope you're not even, I mean, like, if you know me, then you trust me. I mean, like, maybe you take my word for some things, but I want you to go home, open the Bible and be like, is that what Pastor BJ said true? I mean, everything I tell you, I back it up with scripture. So you see that, but there's something else about going to the word for yourself and discovering the truth. When I discovered the truth, when I heard that God was love, and I really believed it, one of my favorite things that I have, that I have have lots of Bibles, but the Bible I used before that moment, I was 18 years old, and the Bible I used to read every morning and to take notes in has this mark in, in, in the book of Psalms when David says, renew a right spirit within me, Lord. I had a little note beside that that said, please, Lord, renew a right spirit within me. And then I heard the truth when I was 18, that my spirit was renewed through Jesus, that all things are created new, that my spirit became a new creation and was as complete as it would ever be in Christ. About two months after that moment, Lisa gave me a new Bible for Valentine's Day. And when I got to that chapter of Psalms that year, there's another note now in that Bible. And where David said, renew a right spirit within me, I have a note now that says, thank you, Jesus, you did this. David wanted this more than anything else, and I get to experience it. I have a new spirit renewed because of you. Man, that's awesome. That's powerful. But I had some bad teaching. I thought that I had to beg the Lord to make me new every day. Even though the word is very clear, I'm a new creation the second I say yes to Jesus. And when my flesh may fall short, there's a spirit inside of me that is seated in heavenly places right beside the Lord. And when he looks to commune with me, he's not examining my own worthiness. But he says, is the lamb still worthy? The answer is yes. And I have full communion with the father. And so do you. So cast out that bad teaching. Go to the word for yourself and get the truth. And here's the third kind. And this kind of unbelief is so common. Half the time, we don't even realize that it is unbelief that needs to be cast out. And it is unbelief that comes from the outside in. What do I mean by that? I mean, how many of you have heard this week that the flu is everywhere and people are getting sick all over Gastonia? Maybe half of your work employees are out. Maybe half of the kids at Gaston Christian are out, right? Because they're all sick. That is unbelief. Hear me out. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but when we look around and we see people getting sick, there's something just incarnate in our human thought that says something to the nature of, it's flu season, I better be careful. I better be safe. Be safe, be careful. I'm not against that. Remember that the word says there's no virus that Jesus didn't take on the cross. There's no flu that he didn't carry within his own body that has authority over us. I mean, it might sound goofy, but when someone says to me it's flu season, I usually say, not for the Sullivans, we don't get the flu. Maybe that offends somebody, but remember Joshua and Caleb declared the report of the Lord even when people said otherwise. Even when it made them mad, they declared the report of the Lord. I'm never rude about it. And sometimes moments come by real fast, and, and maybe I miss it, but as soon as I walk away, I'll out loud say, Sullivan's don't get flu, we don't get flu, and I can't remember the last time any of us had flu. Right? Unbelief, commercials, it's flu season unbelief. See it as that. It's not innocent, not for a believer, right? That's just one example. How about watching all these exaggerated news stories and allowing fear to set in? I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but a couple years ago when the Charlotte News started calling whatever hurricane the world's first nuclear hurricane. That's impossible. There's no such thing as a nuclear hurricane. But when I heard it, I wanted to go by propane that I couldn't even use. I don't even have anything that uses propane, but that's my point. I allowed fear and unbelief in my heart because of a news story that was riddled with unbelief. Tell me there's a hurricane. Tell me it may come to where we live, right? And I'll do whatever preparations I need. But I'm gonna remind myself that there's no storm that can't be calmed by the words that Jesus used when he said, peace be still. I have authority over that. That there's no weapon that is formed against my family that will prosper. And if a hurricane is formed against my family, whatever, come on, but you're not gonna prosper. And I'm not gonna give fear any type of foothold. When I was younger, my parents were watching this show called ER. I know you guys remember that. Some of you have heard this story, but there was a boy who was my age and kind of looked like me that got some rare disease that night, and he died. And I went to bed that night terrified I was going to die. That is unbelief. It hit me from the outside like an attack, and it came from the show called ER. Now, if I could do it all over again, if I could be sitting there beside eight year old BJ, I would have been like, hey, that's not going to happen to you because the Bible says that weapons against you won't prosper. That's not going to happen to you because the Bible says that Jesus took whatever weird disease that was on the cross and healed you from it. I would have encouraged little eight year old myself all that in that moment. And now, when I see something like that on TV and any thought crosses my mind, Man, what if this happens to somebody I love? I come against that thought immediately. It's not going to happen to them. You know, one of the things that Job says in the book of Job, when he loses everything he has, uh, the enemy steals it from him. And, of course, by the end of that story, God gives everything back to him double, right? Uh, One of the things Job says, though, is the thing I've always feared has come upon me. If you read that story, he was so obsessed with the idea that his kids would die, he himself made sacrifices for them every night. His entire life was controlled by the thought his kids, his children would die if he didn't make these sacrifices for them. Man, the enemy had an entrance into Job's life through fear because of unbelief. Now, we have a covenant that is so far greater than Job's, you can't even put it into words how good our promises are. But when fear comes against us, that's unbelief. And stop seeing fear as something that comes from the inside out. Fear comes from the outside in. On the inside, you're wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. And your spirit is not a spirit of fear, but it's power, love, and a sound mind. That's what's on the inside of you. When fear comes, it's from the outside. It's unbelief, and it's trying to get us in unbelief. And according to Paul in 2 Corinthians, that fear is trying to exalt itself against the Lord right here, the knowledge of God in our mind. So remind yourself, remind your family when fear attacks your promises out loud, combat that unbelief with the truth every time. Don't let a moment slide. Don't let a moment slide because we are trained from day one of this life to think everything we taste, touch, see, hear, or feel is real. And in a way, what we taste, touch, see, hear, whatever, the five senses is real, but there is a more real truth, and that's the word, because it was here before any one of our five senses were here. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what I see can change in a heartbeat, what I feel can change in a heartbeat. How many of us get all excited, one day we see victory, the next day something bad happens, we're right back down in the dumps? It's because our senses are more real to us than the word. And that happens when we allow unbelief to have a foothold in our life, whether it's through lack of knowledge, wrong knowledge, or just letting it slide when it attacks us from the outside in. But where is that unbelief coming from in your life? You know, sometimes looking even at family history, can let unbelief in our lives. We see hereditary things that happen to our mother, our father, our grandfather, our aunts, and our uncles. I am not against looking back and learning from hereditary things that happen in our family. But here's where the difference is at. Are you accepting it and saying, well, that's gonna happen to me? Or are you saying the word says that every curse generational or beyond is broken in my life? That is where the difference is. That's where the difference is. And you know what? Enjoy a healthy lifestyle in the natural. Don't let in all the nasty junk. Don't eat all the fast food every day. Don't do all that stuff simply because your body's a temple and you want to feel good. When God says go, you want to be healthy enough to go. You want that. I want that. Don't accept it though as just it's going to happen to me if it happened to them. No. There's a promise. Generational curses are broken. I mean, I've, well, I'm not going to get into that. Generational, every curse is broken. Every curse is broken by the blood of Jesus. If anything in your life you see is, is, is not working, if the enemy has any foothold in you, it's because you have given him possession of your authority. Go repossess that authority. We have to train our senses to see what God sees through meditating on the word, putting our putting his word in our mind more than anything else. That is the way I see it every time when I see that thing on ER. It says this kid got sick the next couple minutes. I'm going to be like, but not me or my family. No sickness can stand against us. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And this is Paul talking about this. And he's saying how it affected him. There's nobody who is a mature enough believer to just let unbelief in and not worry about it. No, a mature believer is the person who combats that stuff. Because once we enter our promised land, we have to go and keep taking possession. It's an ongoing process. We keep taking possession. And if we give a little bit, go take it back. Go take it back. Lisa always says, if you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. The enemy, in this case it's a mouse, is never satisfied with whatever you give up. He wants more. He always wants more. He's after all of the word that's inside of you. And honestly, he's way more interested in taking the word from you than even killing you. Because you'll do more damage out there without the word than you would dead. I'm just going to throw that out there. A believer that's full of the word and keeps possession of his authority, of her authority, and of every promise. The word dangerous isn't even the right word. I don't even know the word we can use for the person walking in authority, how dangerous they are to anything the enemy is coming against. Anytime he comes against you, anytime he comes against your family, your city, your church, Your job. Man, he's going to learn fast. Because if he steals something and you go take it back, the Bible says he's got to return it seven times. That's a big difference. You're going to break the enemy's bank when you go take back whatever he stole from you. Go repossess those promises. Get in the word. Get the knowledge. Get rid of the bad stuff. Get rid of those bad teaching and get what the word says. And then number three, combat unbelief that hits you from the outside it comes from everywhere sometimes it comes from looking at our own circumstances combat that unbelief what a mess I made all right thank you Lord you're the God who cleans up my messes and makes a way where there's no way combat that thought don't let it slide don't let it slide you got the authority you got the Holy Ghost on the inside of you wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is resident on the inside of you. You are a uh, inheritor of the promised land, of the promise, every promise that God gave you. Where do I find these promises? Get to know your Bible, get to know the word, because the promises in there are for you. They're for you. It even says in the New Testament, the promises that God made Abraham are ours today. So whether you're reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, those are your promises. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I told you you'd have another chance to say thank you before we were done. Uh, The band is going to lead us here in just another few minutes of worship. I always want to give our church a chance to respond to the word with worship, with praise. I just don't know a better way to respond to the word. The word is always good news. The word is always encouraging. And right now we have a chance, no matter what is happening around us, to stand up or to stay seated, but to lift up hearts of thankfulness and say, thank you, Father, for your word. You can even use this moment right now to combat any unbelief some of us came in here thinking about situations and I, I just feel this by the Spirit somebody came in here today thinking about what you have declared an impossible situation you've used that word within yourself this is an impossible situation somebody has used that exact word and so right now you're like "Is talking about me if you use that word yeah this is you the Lord is speaking to you right now directly and in the natural every situation is impossible But you're not just natural. There's this thing called supernatural, and that's the Holy Spirit, and he's on the inside of you. If you're a believer, that impossible situation is possible because of Jesus. He makes streams in the desert. He makes a way where there is no way. Man, I can't wait till some friends of mine share this powerful testimony that I just heard this morning. I'm gonna ask them to share it kind of asking them right now, but it'll be be for another week. But they made a faith move and they sowed some seed and then saw some incredible breakthrough when everything around them was telling them that it wasn't working. I just can't wait for you to hear this testimony. And there'll probably be a lot like that. I know there's a lot like that in the house right now. But let me tell you, we have a God that made a living off making the impossible possible. (laughs) Whatever that situation is, there's a way. Don't let unbelief take root in your mind. The battle is over. When you win this battle, you see victory every time, every time you see it on the outside. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you. We rejoice in the truth that you've given us. We rejoice in who you say we are and who you are. Right now, I just pray that you begin to show us individually how to believe your word more than we believe our five senses. That's why the word says we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by what we see, taste, hear, touch. Thank you, Father. Every second of every day, you will inspire us to see what you see. Show us how to make time in our schedule to dive into your word and get the truth for ourselves. You know, John said that it's good to have teachers. That's why you're here today. You see some you see some personal value in having a teacher, and there is great value in having a teacher. John also said that if you have the Holy Spirit, you need not any man teach you, because the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you in all truth. Even if you're hearing something from a teacher, you have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you that will show you the truth and make those things even more real to you than just me saying it from a pulpit or anybody else you got to take time. Some of us, the only thing we're lacking is taking that time to get into the Word and to get with the Lord and to get tangible revelation for ourselves. It's just a time for a lot of us. Make the time. It's more important than hours of sleep. Like, get an hour less sleep tonight if you have to do that to spend time in the Word. It's that important. And God will give you rest he'll give you supernatural rest and he'll multiply your sleep. Thank you, Father, for who you are and for your word. We believe it. We believe it at FCG. We believe it in the Sullivan House over anything else. Amen. Hey, let's all stand if you can. and Let's respond with just a few minutes of worship and then I'll come back up and close this out.